Hey everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Going in Circles Big Monday Show. My name is Charles Simon. I am the host of the Big Monday Show. My co-host, Barry Spears, will be with us after the first break. We are going to talk a lot about what's going on in this business this week, which is going to affect everyone as of July 1st. Um, It just is... Topical, uh, maybe not the most interesting thing for some people, but it's going to affect everyone if you're involved in his business in any way, shape, or form. So we tackle that and uh, talk a little bit about uh, past weekend's races and look forward to the big meets coming up in a couple weeks. All right, we'll be back in... About a minute and 25 seconds with the sniper. Pleasant Acre Farms is a full-service breeding operation located in Morriston, Florida, just outside of Ocala. If you want to get involved in the breeding business in the Sunshine State, or you're already involved, Pleasant Acre Farms is really the only place you need to know. Joe and Helen Barbazon, who are just great people, do a fantastic job taking care of your mare. Uh, they have a solid roster of 13 stallions with a really diverse group of pedigrees. Your mare will find a match at Pleasant Acre Farms. Currently, the star of Pleasant Acre Farms stallion roster is Neolithic, who is by far a runaway winner of the Freshman Stallion of the Year here in the state of Florida. His son, Make It Big, just made it 3-for-3, three three, winning the $400,000 Springboard Mile at Remington Park, earning 10 points towards the Kentucky Derby in the process. Pleasant Acre Farms is your one-stop shop for breeding in the state of Florida. Check them out at www.pleasantacrestallions.com or on Twitter at Stallions. You can also give them a call at 352-528-2885. Pleasant Acre Stallions, check them out. Uh, Is this a sniper? It is. It is. It really is. Greetings. Greetings and salutations, my good man. We are in the... The purgatory between the Triple Crown and, and Saratoga and Del Mar. Oof. Yeah, it's a, it's a lonely three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that it is. We The big race of the week is none other, none other than the Ohio Derby. Which, uh... White Barrio has got to be like one to nine, right? Uh, I'm guessing he'll be the favorite in there. Though I thought it was interesting that there was three horses from the Derby ran in the Ohio Derby and only two ran back in the Belmont. Maybe the Ohio Derby should be stretched out. (laughs) I'm not letting that go. Space this. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're at that time of the year where it's a little bit of a lull. Uh, of course, this year we have... Um, well, we had we had Ascot last week, which was yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a distraction, you know. It was it was all right, you know. 
I, I like the, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, there's races of consequence. <laughs> yeah, the first one of the day. <laughs> Though a lot of them are just basically glorified turf quarter horse races. <laughs> <laughs> straight away, straight away miles. Just don't do it for me. I will tell you this. I have a lot of respect for the track announcer there <laughs> because he can just rattle them off. And the truth is, I don't really know. Like, it's hard to know if he's actually getting it right. The race is right or not. <laughs> but I mean, I as long as he gets the winner right, I guess that's really the main I was trying to think, like, where, where does he watch the race from? Up high. <laughs> You know, I, I was thinking that, like, where does he watch the race from? I mean, what vantage point would actually be good? None. Because if you're in, like, where the grandstand is, then they're kind of starting a long ways away, especially in those mile races, and then they're running directly at you. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> this is this is the kind of thing that I think of. Um, you know, I... I, I I made a couple bets here and there, but uh, no cashing. So what are you going to do? Oh, I, I got, I, I had two tough beats on Saturday. Yeah. I, by Saturday, I was ascotted out. Two tough beats at ascot on Saturday. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't pay attention to Saturday at ascot. I'm a weekday ascot guy. Uh, the queen didn't show. <laughs> That's something we got in common. I didn't show at Ascot either. <laughs> the queen. But, you know, she's 150 years old and I'm only about 95. So uh, we did see a couple interesting things that um, you don't see every day, like uh, the jockey forgetting to remove the... <laughs> the, uh, the blindfold on time. Mr. Dottori uh, kind of screwed himself. Ew. <laughs> got stuck. I guess he was trying to time it perfectly, um, but uh, that didn't work out. We saw... yeah, it was a rough week for Frankie, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got a little bit of that horse that beat uh, Spinderella. Uh, Stradivarius got got uh, kind of a. I don't know. I didn't think the trip was that bad, but John Gosden, who to me is kind of a crybaby, um, but <laughs> he's always whining about something. I mean, this guy's a great trainer, obviously, but. And, and who names your kid Thaddy? I mean, Thaddeus Young, if you name him after Thaddeus Young, it's Thaddeus or Thad, not Thaddy. That's weird. Anyways, they're English. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he got a little heat for that ride. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a stellar week for him. We, we, we had a Charlie Appleby 1-2 finish, which... That's the one that hurt my feelings. We've seen here before. Uh, I was actually surprised that that he hadn't sent anything over. Um, I mean, last year he ran one two in the just the game, and I was thinking he was maybe send the B team over, thinking it's easy pickings over here, but um, but he didn't. Um, but uh, you know, we had a couple controversial stewards no calls <laughs> no calls i rad got uh days <laughs> i got days which which is a rarity i mean cutting people off isn't a rarity but uh actually the guy uh who won the race um 
the fifty to one shot, uh, the uh, the Riddler. Um, that that was actually like worse than even I read. And he got ten days, and then he kind of laughed about it. And said, "Oh, I'm going to go on a holiday because you know he's going to take a trip because jockeys at that level are, are making lots of money, and you give them a couple of days off, then they take it. They go on vacation. You're, you're not punishing them." I did read where a jockey in Hong Kong got a uh, got a penalty for breaking COVID protocols. Um, well, it's got to be brutal. And well, they had you know they're still having issues over there. Uh, well, the penalty you know. was the equivalent of seventy seven thousand American, <laughs> which. Uh, <laughs> Which is a lot. I don't think if a jockey like like murdered three people in the jocks room, like like strangled the clerk of scales to death, they would get a fine of seventy seven thousand over here. <laughs> no way. No, but seventy seven seventy seven G's. You got three days, hundred dollars, five hundred dollars. We'll give them five hundred. Yeah. So we're having all kinds of problems with the high so. Or hissa or whatever the hell it's called. Well, I, I I noticed that a lot more people are being more vocal about it as it gets closer, which you know you can take that for what it's worth. But you know, obviously these issues that everybody's having, mostly trainers, I see. <laughs> um, They, it seems to me like everybody should have been on that train a lot sooner than a couple of weeks before it starts. Well, I think the biggest issue is people just didn't really, and, and this is this is a problem with horsemen throughout <laughs> history. Um, when you're a trainer, when you're you're working on the backside, and people on the backside know this, and. I'm not using this as an excuse in any way, shape, or form, but you're working all the time. Right. You don't have time to and sit down and read something. <laughs> you don't take, um, a lot of people just don't take time to educate themselves. But I will, in their defense, that this has been shrouded in mystery from the start. We have talked about this for a year and a half now. Like on this show, we have. And I just don't think people, how do I describe? The backside is kind of like high school in a lot of ways. Um, in that you have a lot of people that aren't, aren't exactly highly educated. And I'm not just talking the backstretch personnel, I'm talking trainers too. And you have a lot of um Like the sales arena, the sales game, the breeding game, that's kind of fantasy land. When you're at a sale and guys are, are you know, raising their finger and, and, and bidding in five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar increments, that's that's not real. I mean it's real money, but that's not real. That's not the backside. The backside you run a horse for that's that's been running for twelve five and you run it for ten. And, and it gets claimed. You agonize over it. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's a real life kind of close to um, the vest kind of operation for the most part. Not everyone, of course, but the vast majority of people that are now finding out about these rules are people that that aren't industry leaders, that aren't people that um, spend uh, time on panels or discussing these things with um, the alphabet soup groups. They're people that, that attend claim or getting claimed from them might make a big difference in their life huh. um, or not getting claimed or winning a race. I mean, I've been there. I, I was at a situation at one time where I owned way too many horses of my own. I had way too many people weren't paying me. Uh, and I was still, of course, trying to do everything as proper as you can. Um, I didn't have one groom taking care of 12 horses or anything crazy like that. Right. So one day I was like strung out on money and waiting for checks to come in and waiting for checks to clear and waiting for people to pick up the phone because they, they had been ignoring me. And I had a horse in at um, Penn national, um, pretty good horse actually. And Tony Black was going out to to uh, to ride him for me. He drove drove out from Philly to ride him, and I basically needed that horse to win that race because I knew that I would be able to get that purse money um, by Friday, and I think it was a Monday or Tuesday night, <clears throat> and uh, the horse won, <laughs> and uh, that's when I found out the Penn National wouldn't FedEx check and i had to actually pay someone to drive from louisville kentucky to penn national to pick the check up and then drive back to kentucky to deposit in the bank because i was in ocala for the winter um but i needed that money to to basically survive like to not bounce all my checks and um target practice was the name of the horse it was actually turned into a, a pretty accomplished on a low level uh, a venting horse who's still going strong. I think he's like 17 years old. Oh, wow. But I've been there, right? I know what those people feel like. I get it. I mean, I really do. Um, and I mean, I've also had the luxury of training for some of the biggest names in the game. So I, I've seen it from a lot of different sides and I've bred horses and I've sold them at auction. I've bought plenty at auction. I've, I've, had a uh, you know I worked in the racing office, so I've had a, a pretty um, wide view of of everyone's you know I've I've stood in a lot of people's shoes so to speak, and I just think that a lot of people thought that um, that this regulation was going to be as it was sold, and it was sold to people as a standardization of rules and. Uh, a way to get rid of the cheaters, the bad guys. <laughs> and that's not what this is. This is not a standardization of rules. This is the creation of a whole new set of rules. And nobody, and, and this is something we've talked about, nobody in those rooms has any practical experience. And that was by design. Um, the problem that they're having now is that 
uh, I've said I've said this to you personally. I've said this, I think, on the air. Mm. One of the hardest people in the world to bullshit is a horse trainer. Because <laughs> they spend their whole lives bullshitting other people, including <laughs> themselves. You know, you have to be... Um, you have to have some optimism to you if you train horses because bad things happen all the time. And a lot of times they're not like horrible bad, but the horse that you had one more work before it was going to race and, and was doing really well, uh, does need up and, and has a little temperature, not the end of the world, but all of a sudden the plans you had, right. the plans you had, the owner was flying and the whole thing, everything is, is out the window and you're back to square. <clears throat> and that happens all the time. <laughs> and there's so many other things, horses getting hurt. Um, horses just working like a, up a storm and not running well. That happens, which really makes you nuts. But it's not easy to bullshit horse trainers because we're used to being lied to. We get lied to by owners. We get lied to by farm managers. We get lied to by jockey agents, especially. We get lied to by jockeys. We get lied to by our help. Uh, we get lied to by the racing office. <laughs> so we're in the middle of getting lied to all the time. And a lot of times it's not like, hey, you know, like we're going to completely deceive them. But, you know, you get a phone call and this race, oh, this race isn't that tough, Chuck. It, it, yeah, you'll fit good in there. And, and you go in there and. You know, you're twenty to one, and the guy in the racing form writes in the little, you know, the little little print in the side. Oh God, yeah, seems overmatched in here. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, jock agents tell you, "Oh no, no, we got you in there." And then day of the draw, oh geez, you know, so and so went in there, and you're gonna need a rider. Who's available? Oh yeah, Men Chen's open. (laughs) You know, somebody who's looking twenty third on the list. Uh. That was actually one of the reasons why um, Jerry Bailey had a not Ron Anderson as agent before Ron Anderson. He was a nice guy and he was a good agent. Obviously, he was a leading rider in the country. But he was very difficult to do business with if you weren't Bill Mott because he was riding first call for Bill Mott. And Bill Mott was before Steve Asmussen, before um, Pletcher got really strong, before uh, Chad Brown existed, before... Um, all the guys you see now, Bill Mott was there, and Bill Mott. I remember, was I remember in the late nineties, yeah. early two thousands, Bailey Mott was like an automatic, right? So, but Bill would have, you know, Bill was the guy that wants to run his horses when his horses are good, and that's of course his prerogative. And he would sometimes enter horses. Uh, a horse was doing really well, and he put him in, and he and he hadn't told anybody and Bailey would ride his horse of course even if you had to call so a lot of times what would happen is you wouldn't find this out until Bill entered and I remember one particular winter at Gulfstream when that happened to me two or three different times and (laughs) when you're training for Ken Ramsey and he wants Bill Mott and of course I'm sure a lot of other trainers know the same you know go through the same thing today with uh if you think you're getting irad or you think you're getting pratt or you think you're getting rosario and you wind up with you know not those guys (laughs) Uh, and it's even a bigger problem back then than it is now i I, kind of have it backwards but now it's not nearly as big of a problem because field sizes are so small but back then 
when everybody was committed in a, in a 10 or a 12 horse race, if you weren't really, really strong in the race, then you weren't going to get someone else to spin someone else to ride you. Everyone's going to stick with who they had. You were stuck. Your owner thinks you got Jared Bailey. And uh, the overnight comes out and you got Herb Castillo. And that does not make them happy. Um, and I don't even know how I got into this this tangent, but um, that happened quite a bit. And Lied to. Jerry wound up. Uh, <laughs> That's how. Jerry wound up actually changing agents. And he got really pissed off at me one day because I put a horse that he had ridden. Uh, I put George Chavez on the horse. Uh-oh. And I made a made a deal with George Chavez's agent. I'm about to ride three or four horses, but I said, you cannot spin me. You cannot absolutely spin me. I will stick up for you, and I will go to bat for you, but you have to ride these horses. It doesn't matter if Secretary comes out of retirement or rises from the grave and enters in this race. You cannot ride them. You have to ride my horse. So he did. He, he made a commitment to ride those horses. He had a couple he wanted to ride, too. So, um, And Bailey came in my office, and he was really pissed off. <laughs> he closed the door, and I had just started training. I mean, I, I trained maybe a year at this point. And he kind of put the overnight on the table in a uh, agitated manner and said to me, what's this? And I'm like, what? And he goes, I rode that horse last time. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, how come I'm not on him this time? <laughs> That's probably a question for your agent, not for me. Well, you don't do that to me. I said, I, what did I do to you? Your agent didn't call him about that. I said, what about... Uh, and, and I gave him three examples about what about this one, that one, and this one? Well, well, what happened? I said, well, I had to call with you, and you rode for Matt. He goes, well, I could ride first call for Matt. I said, I understand. I go, but let me un- let me explain how this works. When my owner asks me who we're riding, and I tell him, I have a call with Jerry Bailey, and then the overnight comes out, and Jerry Bailey's not on the horse. I go, you know who looks bad? I look bad. I look bad. Not you, not your agent, me. I go, how many times can that happen to me? And before the owner starts to lose confidence. As I've been training for a year, I said, by the time I have a strong enough barn, you're going to spin everyone else for me. You'll be retired. You're, you know, you, how many more years you got to go? He wasn't that happy about that answer. (laughs) And he left, but you know, um, a couple days comes by, comes back, and he, and he comes back in the office, and he closes the door, and I'm like, here we go again. Oh, boy. <laughs> and he says to me, he goes, what you told me the other day was true. I said, of course it's true. I said, listen, look at the horses I've ridden you on. I've trained for a year and a half or so. I go, you, you've ridden like seven winners for me at like nine tries. I said, I only put you on live horses. I said, if you're on the horse, that means I think the horse is going to win or have a real good chance of winning. I don't put you on, on bums or horses I'm trying to get claimed. I said, but by the same token, it, it, it hurts me when you ride the other guy's horse. And I said, I understand that you have to ride the other guy's horse. I go, but, you know, your agent doesn't, he, he just rides Bill Mott first call. And then whatever else fills in the blanks. Or, of course, if you rode for Shug or whoever. I go, but that, you know, I, I, it doesn't work for me anymore. I mean, I love to ride you. Uh, I, I ride you on all my horses. You, you, you know, you know, you never screw up and you always tell me the truth. That's but. I can't get you all the time, you know? And I, I said, well, I can't get you when I'm supposed to get you. I go, it just is, you know, and it wasn't that much longer. And he said to me, he goes, you know, I've, other trainers have told me the same thing. I said, well, we're not lying, Jerry. I mean, 
As I understand why your agent does it. I'd ride for his gold Vermont too. Of course. <laughs> you know, you're riding cigar. Um, and he made the change not that long ago. Not, not that much after that. And, and that agent, the other agent, uh, retired. He, he didn't, he never took anyone else's book. He, he was good. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, he was an older guy. Where could you go from there? No, but he didn't, you know, I, I think he had saved his money and, and, and I don't think he was particularly interested in, uh, you know, you, you're, you're repping the, the number one guy. And so, but anyways, the whole point was that is that you, you get used to knowing, you know, when people are telling you things that may not or may not be true or telling you what you want to hear. And that's how he said, in a nutshell, they, they, this thing is not ready to go. Uh, it's a big, it's screwed up um, from meeting to meeting. The answers change. <laughs> uh, they, there's been a lot of I don't knows. There's been a lot of we're not sure yet. There's been a lot of um, answers that just aren't acceptable. Like when the person asked Ann McGovern, who's a you know wonderful governor and you know ran a track uh, as an executive but doesn't know anything about the backside, uh, yet she's in charge of you know the backside and under this. Uh, what records needed to be transferred when horses were claimed. And she really didn't have a good answer. And I mean, that's like, it's, I'm I'm just trying to think of of an analogy. I mean, that's like the basic thing. All right. One of your, your tenants of this rule is that we want records to go with the horse, um, because of safety reasons, which I understand for the vet records. That makes sense to me. The training records, to me personally, I would give them nonsense. If I trained horses and you told me to give the training records to the next trainer who claimed the horse off of me, I would <laughs> I would do it because I would want to be in compliance with the rule, but they would be getting on a daily basis, Monday. Routine training activity. Tuesday, routine routine training activity. Wednesday, routine training activity. Because what I do with the horse is proprietary. And until that changes, that law changes in this country, where you've got to record what you do in a public um, fashion on a daily basis, then that's proprietary information. Right. I mean, it's 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 almost like giving the enemy your playbook that's exactly what it is you know it's like a, a head football coach just handing over his playbook to the opposition a week before the game oh it's it's like when you you know you trade a guy and, and you call up the next team and say hey you know he, he just uh whatever you do don't have him do this <laughs> it's that's part of the deal and but she didn't even know. And it was almost like she hadn't even considered it. And that's part of the thing is that I can tell you each one of these rules, I can probably give you 10 scenarios. Where it's not going to work. or it's Well, gonna... it's not going to work or there's going to be a way around it or it's going to be this or this is going to come up. Because like you train horses, you're around the backside long enough. There's always things that can happen. And, and it was almost as though they didn't understand or get that 
a lot of people get incensed when their horses are claimed. Not me. I was never mad when I when I lost one horse who I shouldn't have lost because the owner panicked and made me run the horse way, way cheaper than it should have been running. And it was, you know, a big mistake. But other than that, I, I never cried when I lost the horse because, you know, you go in the race, you know, you're putting a, a number next to their name that you know they're for sale. And that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, it's not like they're, they're claiming your kid if you don't want them to get claimed and don't run it for claiming price. And I remember the only piece of training advice Bobby Frankel ever gave me was we were sitting on a, a he was, he had chipped into Churchill and he was, uh, he had two, two stalls at the end of my barn. And he had said he had known, I had known him through, uh, through Alan Jerkins and we were running a couple horses in that day um, for, for claiming prices. And he said, you know, I played the claiming game. You know, that, that's how I, that's how, you know, he really started doing well when he got into the business was, was claiming horses, moving them up, you know, fixing them up, doing whatever you had to do. Um, but he said to me, if you're not a little nervous that your horse might get claimed, you, you got them in too high. And that's, that's the truth. I mean, if you, if you're not a little bit nervous, you're going to get claimed and you probably have them in over their heads because if, if no one looks at your horse and thinks they have any chance to, to win, well, you probably should have lower, brought them in a lower class, but people get pissed off and they they act as though, Oh, you know, geez, no problem here. We'll give you the records. We'll do this. We'll do that. You know, it's, we had a horse when I worked for Jerkins. Um, he was by Meadow Lake, and I can't remember his name, but he was a tough horse to ride. Really, really tough. He used to run off gaps, <laughs> and it, it didn't matter if you had um, blinkers on him, if you had a special bit on him. If you, he he was just bad about running out of gaps, and you really had to pay attention because he would lull the rider to sleep. He'd just go nice and easy, gallop nice and slow and be fine. And all of a sudden <laughs> take a 45 degree angle right <laughs> off the gap. And, you know, he, he lost more riders doing that. So he got claimed from us at this, that gold stream in the winter. And, you know, it was just a horse to me. And I mean, it was actually kind of a pain in the ass. So I wasn't crying any tears. He, he got <laughs> So, when we went to, you go to the test barn, uh, not, uh, different places do it different ways. But back then, the horses used to be transferred at the test barn, uh, win, lose, or draw. So we went, brought them to the test barn, and uh, guys from Calder claimed them. I didn't know the people that well. And when I got there, I saw the guy and, and uh, the assistant, whoever from, from Calder, and I said, hey, listen, I just want to tell you one thing about this horse. You got to watch him, you know, with the gaps because, you know, he's he's tough. He, even if he's galloping, he'll try to run off the gaps. Because a lot of times a horse backs up. When they're backing up, they're, they're going, they're jogging on the outside of the track. And, they're you know, when the gap comes in, the gap is where they go on and off the track. It's, it's you know, eight feet away. But when they're galloping, most of the time they'll keep attention to what they're doing. But he would do it at, at almost any time. And, of course, he was going to be going to a new track where they had new gaps to him. And I was just trying to be the, you know, 
uh, a responsible horseman, right? Let them know this is the this is the problem with this horse. The guy got all offended and basically told me, "So you think you big trainers, you northern trainers, you think you guys are the only ones know how to train a horse?" And I was like, "Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of do your favor, guy." Yeah, like, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I'm not trying to tell you how to train the horse. I'm just telling you, so you know, you don't have a rider get to get bucked off when he takes a right turn at the gap. And I said, "This is what he's done to us everywhere we go." So, yeah, you know what? Good luck. Buddy. I've had it. <laughs> and and like, I don't even follow. Like people follow horse. I don't even follow them. They get claimed from me. I didn't care anymore. It didn't matter. I mean, it just didn't matter because what difference does it make? And I never claimed a horseback once. Never, never once. And it wasn't by by design. I just never really lost any horse that I really thought to myself, man. And I, I think I actually, actually did claim a horseback, but it was a broodmare. It was a filly. Um, but we claimed, it got claimed off of so we claimed later as a broodmare. But, but that doesn't really count. But um, people aren't always <laughs> like, um, you know, understanding about getting claimed. It's it's a it pisses them off. It just does. And that's the way it is. But no, heist is a big problem. And the horsemen who are squawking now just have had their head on buried in the sand for a long time. People just didn't believe that they would do things like they're doing because, because another reason is because it never really happened. And every time there was changes made or rule changes made, it's always been kind of an incremental thing. Um, and usually you could see it coming. It wasn't something that it, it kind of hitch out of the blue. And with this, they've, they've hit you with so many different angles here um, telling you, and this is an extreme case, not, not defending the rule, but uh, because I really think it's, it's ludicrous that they would take a purse away from an owner for a jockey, whatever a jockey does, unless they're disqualified. That's one that that'd be understandable. But because if, if a jockey hits a horse 11 times instead of six, they're going to disqualify the horse. Um, seems a little bit. That's a bit much. Yeah, a little over the top. But um, that, you have that rule. You have the rule that states that they can essentially come to your house, come to your business, come to your farm, come to your training center, wherever they are, wherever, however they can tie <clears throat> the horse in question or the issue in question to you. Uh, and it doesn't have to be um, a really solid tie. And they can, you know, search and seizure, to do things at your house, according to the way it reads. And the lady that that's in charge, who understandably has had, I mean, the, the timeline is really ludicrous. It's just nuts to think that, that she was hired in February. And my question to the heist of people, all, all the people behind it is, what took you so long? This thing passed December of the, of the prior year. I mean, it took, what, 13 months to hire? And 
All right, if you have a two-month process, um, fine, but but you have a deadline. And remember, everything was supposed to be in place by July 1st, everything. The drug testing lab, and, and I don't want to hear that, oh, well, USADA dropped out, so that doesn't matter. You should have had right. someone Can running you- this thing Right. Last last spring, last summer at the, the at the latest. But they didn't. And, and that's that's water under the bridge. But now she's under. a and, and remember, she's not versed in horse racing. She worked for the Equine Federation, but that's the show jump people. That's it's equines, it's horses, it's testing, it's all that. But it's still a lot different, a lot different. And, and the, the people are, are much different. And. It's so much bigger than than that. Um, it's it's far more public. There's no one betting on on uh, show jumping events, so the general public is hardly involved with them at all. You know, there's twelve billion dollars bet on on horse racing. There's zero bet on on on, on horse shows. At least as far as I know, maybe somebody takes yeah, people to side bets. <laughs> but um, you know, so that that in itself is they're trying to do this at such a late date, and I, I just um, I don't know that much about quarter horse racing, and if you put me up on one of these panels that needed to describe. You know, new rules and regulations for quarter horse racing. I would probably struggle a little bit, but not as bad as these people are struggling because they don't have any real knowledge of this, none. And a lot of what they're, you know, they they've tried to educate themselves. I'm not. I have no idea who who's been telling them, or maybe they're just not listening. Um, but it's it's not. It's a bad thing. It's it's bad when people. And they keep saying, you know, trust us. Well, like, what world do you guys live in? This is 2022. <laughs> yeah, that ain't. No, you are from the government. Even if you're not from the quote unquote government, you're from the government. You're, you, you keep throwing federal law around. No one trusts you. This is the way it is. <laughs> you know, people don't yeah. trust the government at all. And and for, for good reason. Um, so... Yeah, that that's a tough sell. Maybe in 1965, that that would have been an easier sell. But <laughs> these days, probably not even. Us, or or saying, yeah, we know the rule is written like that, but we don't intend to enforce it like that. Which is, um, there there's a word for it, but I I can't think of it right now. Um, Problematic. Well, it's just put it this way. The people on those highs of boards, they're not going to be on those highs of boards five years from now. It's going to be a whole new crew of people. whole new crew of people. And well, you don't know how depends. those people are going to interpret what it says. What it says in black and white is what it is. You may not interpret it that way, but the next guy might. And it's just like if you're sitting there driving down the highway and a cop, you pass a cop and, the, and, the, and the, the speed limit's 65 and you're going 75. They don't always come after you. 
They can know. And if it's towards the end of the month and they got a quota they got to make, got them. They're going to come after you and they're going to get you. Even if you drove past that same guy every day going the same speed limit, it's the law. You are still breaking the law. And maybe the next guy, maybe the next person who's in charge is not going to look at it that way. And they're going to say, well, this is the law. This is the rule. This is how it reads. This is what we're going to do. In Florida, we had a situation. Now, Florida has never had a, a real racing commission. Uh, racing has been regulated by a division of the division of um, <laughs> business regulations. The Department of Business Regulations had a paramutual wagering um, subset, more or less. I think the business, the, the Department of Business Regulation in Florida had like 38 different um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Divisions, for lack of a better word. So we weren't the focus. We, we were one of 38. And obviously the biggest thing they do is licensing. They, they're, they're kind of, you know, like University of Florida does the drug testing and they have the, you know, they, they run the, the, the test barns and stuff like that. But, but licensing is probably the biggest um, feat that they accomplish. Well, a guy comes in and you remember department, the head of the Department of Business Regulation is kind of a low level bureaucracy job, you know, a bureaucrat job. So it's often used as a stepping stone. For <laughs> people with political ambition, they want to build a resume. Well, most of the time, racing really didn't get paid that much attention to. But one, I don't know, I guess quite a few years have gone by now. I don't even remember what year. Maybe maybe 2010, 2000. Yeah, right around that. Um. <laughs> A guy came in, a young guy, and he went to Yale or somewhere. And he was he was going to be the next, uh, you know, hotshot politician. He's a law and order guy. Letter of the letter of the law guy. So generally, when you're licensed, you get licensed every year or every other year. Some states you can do it every three years. Um, but you have to get licensed every couple of years. Well, for the most part, if you don't get in any kind of trouble in between, uh, if you have no racing violations, if you haven't got arrested, if, you, if there's nothing of note that's happened to you between the time you were last licensed and the time you go back in to be relicensed, you'll get a, a renewal. You'll basically just give them the check, uh, fill the form out, and... You know, someone goes over it and probably looks your name up in the computer to make sure that you're not lying. Uh, every five years, you got to get fingerprints, which is, you know, nonsense. But just to me, it just seems like it's a money w- way to raise money. But Yeah, because your fingerprints don't change. Right? No, of course not. <laughs> well, we don't keep the records. I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> but um, it's it's kind of a rubber stamp thing, right? I mean... You've done nothing. You've been licensed for years and years and years. You've really done nothing wrong. 
you're going to be licensed. It's just a matter of, of paying the, like I said, filling the form out, paying your money and, and getting your license. Well, now under the way the, the statute read and, and, and their interpretation, anything that happened to you in the past had to be, uh, you had to have documentation showing that uh, it was adjudicated, whether it be a personal issue, um, whether it was a racing issue, you had to have proof that that uh, had been adjudicated. I had a couple fines at Churchill um, that were like, you know, $100 uh, failure to have full papers on file or late to the paddock, something like that. You know, nothing not, minor as minor as can be. Then, of course, I paid because had I not paid, they wouldn't have relicensed me and I would be suspended there. So, of course, they were paid. Well, when I went to get my license, I went to renew. Um, it was, ta- I, I was sitting there and, and I was waiting like 15 minutes. I'm thinking to myself, doesn't take this long. Like, like, did something happen I'm not aware of? You know, I started thinking, shit, did I run any horses? <laughs> did I get a positive <laughs> test that I don't even know about? Like, you know, so, and and the guy comes out and, and he was the investigator and he, he said to me, he goes, I, I know this sounds silly, but, uh, and he goes, I know it's a long shot, but you don't have any documentation from, uh, you know, like, you know, March or, or, you know, 18th, uh, 2008 for a, a fine. You got a Turfway Park for a hundred dollars. I laughed, you know, yeah, he goes, well, I know, I know. He goes, well, the problem is Kentucky doesn't race till nighttime today and no one's in the office and no one's picking up at the, uh, their office, their other offices. And I, I can't get an okay from them because in the computer, it doesn't have it as paid. He goes, but a lot of times, you know, those minor things that they, they just take the money and, you know, they deposit the thing and it, you know, you're not suspended because you paid it. So there's, there's, you know, so I was like, all right, so what's this mean? He goes, well, we have to give you a temporary license. And then once we hear from them and everything is cleared up, I said, so you have to give me a temporary license because of two fines that happened 10 years ago. And I've been licensed in that state for many years. <laughs> what if I showed you win pictures like three years later from the same state? Obviously, I paid the fine. If I didn't pay the fine, I wouldn't have been licensed. And he, should, he goes, listen, you know, and he explained to me what was going on. Well, I had an owner who had a DUI uh, 30 years prior and he was in his 50s this point so it was when he was like 19 and he hadn't had an issue since it was like one of those scared straight things you know uh nice guy in the world like not a guy that would ever have issues he had no criminal record he had no racing violations he paid his bills on time he had no complaints i mean he was just like the model owner really really good dude too well he sent his license application in and they, they rejected it. <laughs> he called me up and he said, they rejected my license application. And I, I was like, well, did you spell something wrong? I mean, like, like you sure you got the right social security number? I mean, he goes, no, they told me that I needed documentation um, from an arrest. And I said, well, you know, have you been arrested? Cause it was, it'd be news to me. And he goes, 
the only time I was ever arrested in my life was, was you know, back in when, you know, uh, 1987. <laughs> so, so it's like, well, it can't be that, right? I mean, that's the statute of limitations are up. Uh, I mean, like, what did you get arrested for? And he's like, DUI. I was like, oh. I could see if it was bookmaking or something, but like, I don't understand. So, so we went to the investigator. They called it Tallahassee. Tallahassee basically told him we need documentation or we can't license him. So he called up the place that it happened, the town it happened, some little town in Illinois. And they laughed at him. They said, destroy those records after five. They, they, they said, well, we don't have those <laughs> records. <laughs> and he's like, even, you know, like, he goes, no, we, we have nothing. He goes, we, we, everything, he goes, number one, everything is, is now computerized. Uh, all our records were transferred over. And he goes, all the records before, like, you know, like 1995, we, we, we got rid of them. I mean, we, we didn't know. There was no need for them. And there was a giant pile up of, of records and we, we threw them all out. So he had no documentation, uh, you know, so he went back to them and said, listen, and explained what happened. And know what they told him? Then, then you can't be licensed. So he hired a lawyer. And then the lawyer, of course, you know, got their attention. And um, it became like a, a about a 60-day ordeal to get him licensed. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, he had to pay the lawyer, too. I mean, I didn't work for free. Um, and that is... A great example of a bureaucrat, uh, bureaucracy run amok, ignoring common sense regulation, uh, a guy that wants to, to earn himself a reputation at the expense of others. Uh, that's not good regulation. It's terrible regulation. But that's what we get sometimes. And it really has nothing to do with racing. And that's the thing with this is that most of those people don't have anything to do with racing. And, and I, having people that are neutral is fine, but you can't have everybody that doesn't have any um, connection to racing because you just don't have enough educated people to make proper decisions. And if it's just going to continue to be that, how many people involved in racing over the years have no connection to it, but still have uh, the requisite knowledge that they could be, you know, useful in this. There's, there, I mean, the list is very, very small and they haven't even you know, taken advantage of that. And, and that's, that's, that's the thing. And that's the fear. Um, you know, when you start throwing away, I mean, we haven't basically talked about the drug part of it because, uh, that's that's been kicked. That can's been kicked down the road till January. Uh, you have an organization that's going to be kind of spearheading that segment. That's never tested racehorses. It's done mostly humans. Um, so, so let me ask you this: <clears throat> Just you know, do you think they they went out and reached out to people that would be in the know to try to figure this whole thing out or are they just basically I, I, and... I don't know I, I know a couple people that they've they've talked to um 
and they're you know relatively knowledgeable in the fields that they're in but one of the biggest everything right? i mean to, to to put it i mean i don't want to say that i know for sure that I, I don't know who they've talked to or not i know the people that have told me that they've talked to them because they volunteered that but i don't know who you know there, there's no record of who they have or who they haven't been talked to but it's just shocking that they talked to anybody that had any real practical experience and and still stuck with the rules they have because a lot of them you can see coming from a mile away that they're going to be a problem uh and by by what i mean by a problem is that they're they're going to be almost unenforceable um and remember they don't have any personnel at this point at least as far as we know so in the beginning, I think all these mandates are going to be um, enforced by the racetracks themselves, who really aren't <laughs> in a position to, to really do a lot of this stuff either. Their own problems. <laughs> well, if you t- think about a track that's got, say, 1,500 horses on it, well, that's 1,500 horses times, um, times four, because all horses got four feet. Are you really going to be able to keep track of all the horses who are training? What their shoes are, if they have toes on or they don't have toes on? Toe grabs, which are now outlawed. Which the front toe grabs, very, very, very few, if any trainers, you know, use them these days anyways. Most places have gotten away from that. But to out, you know, to, to have no toe grab at all on the back and the hind leg is, is just stupid. I mean, it, it's just ignorant. I mean, it, it, there's just no other way of putting it. It makes no difference. And the study that they used is, <laughs> it's like a 10th grade study. It's like garbage, right? It's a complete waste of time. Um, but it, it, I guess the easiest way to describe it is that the people that are all on these boards with all, uh, the authority with that are making the decisions, they all work in offices or laboratories. None of them go to work in a barn. And it's not as though they, um, like the trainers would be saying, oh my God, you can't do this, or, or we'd craft the rules so that we. No, we know how to take advantage of the rule. Just asking basic, simple stuff. Um, because once you get these things passed, once the rules are enacted, to get them changed, you're going to have to have um, a preponderance of evidence. And that's always, you know, the beauty of, of that's always in the, the eye of the beholder. You might have 37 trainers and, and jockeys come and say, hey, this doesn't work, but as long as you're always going to have, you know, the yes guys that are going to say, oh, no, 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 the contrary people. And as long as they can get one or two or three people to 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 be in um, to, to back the rule, they're not going to change it. I know it all sounds crazy, but. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Because, you know, I, I could foresee a situation like you, you kind of alluded to earlier where, you know, we have this on the books, but we're not really going to enforce it or, 
only if we need to kind of thing. And that's not good either because that just leaves things open for a lot of gray area that is probably not needed with a situation like this. Um, you know, obviously there, there are some things like even for me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a novice in the business end of, of the sport. Um, I, I do learn a lot every day, but, you know, I can see things that, that have been written that, just doesn't make sense no i mean we've talked about this i think last week having um uh, actual beneficial therapy machines categorized under the same rule as uh cattle prods and and jockey buzzers and and shockwave machines it's just i mean it's just not it's just not good regulation. It's just poorly written. You're just, you know, you're just putting those machines in the, under the same heading as things that are absolutely positively unacceptable to have. Right. It's, it's almost like the, the same situation you just described with your owner. I mean, it's, it's creating more confusion and angst than it's worth. I mean, the guy had a, a DUI from, 30 years prior like what is that affecting him now no it, it had no effect it was but it was because, the, the know, way it was written this is the right interpret the, that, that is that is the problem and, and and people might say well what does this have to do with me well it has to do with you is that all the issues that we have on on the track field size issues um adjudication of 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 jockey uh, you know, fouls, penalties, all, all that stuff. It, none of this is, is going to be really uh, addressed. None of it. But we're going to have smaller fields because there's going to be people that just won't sign up for it. I don't know how many people will do it. I don't know how many people walk away. A lot of people talk big. A lot of people say they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And in the end, they don't. Um, but I mean, how many people have, how many times have we heard, oh, I'm boycotting that track, or I'm not betting that track. I'm not. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> it happens all the time. Well, people own horses and train horses, they're, they're not any different than that. People that are involved in this business are basically addicted to it. Because <laughs> you get treated pretty poorly, no matter where you're at. So, it's not <laughs> so, you know, like you're, everyone's getting such wonderful treatment and, and, and being respected so well that you can't help but stay in. I mean, I mean, let's face it, we're all kind of suckers, but um, there's going to be scratches. There's going to be, I don't know that they've really, um, as we're sitting here like 10 days before this thing is supposed to be implemented, I don't know that the tracks have really understand all the protocols and have figured out a way to uh, enforce them. Because it's not like the tracks have, you know, 20 extra security people that are well-trained and, and motivated sitting on the, in the, in the bullpen to call them, call them out. And okay, you know, uh, the veterinarian issue is, is a huge one. Most tracks and most commissions are, struggle to find a veterinarian, a competent veterinarian to work um, because it's number one, it's, it's, it's the hours are strange. Um, number two is is 
it's it's hard work in that your judgment is always going to be um you're you're going to have as a state vet make judgment calls and a lot of times you're going to upset people uh if you are wrong if you let a horse run that you shouldn't let run and it something happens gets hurt then you're going to be second guessed um and they're not exactly overflowing these people with money so so that in itself is, is a difficult uh, large animal practices have struggled to find uh, vets to come work there. Uh, you know, you're working weekends, you're working holidays, you're working when it's hot, you're working when it's cold, you're working outside, working in the rain. So it's, it's not, um, uh, it, it's a tough position to fill as it is. Now they're talking about tracks having you know, three or four or five. What? <laughs> uh, you know, you're if you're at Goldstream, you you have two separate uh, between Palmettos and Goldstream. You have two backsides. If you're in New York, you have uh, Belmont and you have Saratoga, San Anita. You have uh, uh, San Anita, La Salle, and, and and San Luis Rey. Um, the you know, the, the, it's it's a lot. I mean. It's a lot, and it's not something that's taught in college. They don't teach you about racehorse lameness in college. I remember talking to a vet, and he said maybe 10% of the stuff we did was equine. So I learned about birds and all, you know, cows and, and all that other stuff. So, so that's a problem, but you're going to see a lot of angst. I feel bad for the racing offices because most of them are struggling now to fill. And this is going to be difficult. I don't even know how. um, I don't even know how they're going to take entries from people who aren't licensed or aren't registered, excuse me, or, or their horses aren't registered or their owners aren't registered because, you know, it's like taking entries for a turf race, knowing it's going to rain that weekend, knowing that there's a good chance you're going to have a lot of scratches. And um, I mean, it's a tough thing because, like we said, we're we're getting into the the, the time of the year where uh, you're you're seeing you know the, the most races run, uh, and I think it's going to affect the little tracks disproportionately. I think the big tracks, for the most part, you're going to have a lot more um, people that, well, number one, they, they spent a lot more money on their horses. They've spent a lot more money uh, operating their businesses. They, they're running for a lot more money. So they have a lot more to lose. That said, that doesn't mean that the smaller tracks aren't important because, of course, they are. Uh, I, I don't personally think that this industry will survive with four or six tracks in this country. I, I just don't see how you you can attract enough attention to 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 make it go. I, I just don't know how you create fans that that don't ever actually get to the track. That don't, you know, get to a racetrack itself. I, I just think it's very difficult to fall in love with this on a TV screen. 
Um, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but uh, I don't know anywhere that's done it so far. There, there's no gonna say it's 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 probably possible, but not likely. No, it's just something that is is. I mean, if we want to become glorified steeplechase racing, maybe that's the goal eventually. And it sounds nuts, but you can't just breed good horses. And this is the one thing that's that's got me <laughs> kind of from the start when this big push started was the, the amount of breeders that were behind it. And I, I kept thinking to myself, that can't be good. Like, no, but, but like, do you people realize that you're gonna shred your own market here? That if you shrink the business, then you're gonna have a lot less customers and you're gonna get stuck with a lot more horses. And yeah, people are always gonna want to buy the ones that are grade A confirmation and hot pedigree and vets out perfect well yeah there's always going to be a market for those but what about everybody else i mean you can't just breed good horses i just don't know i just have a hard time grasping how people can support um trying to to shrink this business to the point where it's just so insignificant that it's just going to die. Well, yeah, the math doesn't bear that out on any level. I mean, we're down to 17,000 folds. Right. The uh, numbers expected. just don't add up. It's if, if the business shrinks, it's just not going to. <laughs> and not... yet, and yet the graded stakes stay the same. <laughs> <laughs> just think at some point we'll be at the situation where it's like every race is, is, is a state. Yes. We'll just have all graded stakes, and everybody is going to be graded. In, I mean, it's just going to be black type for everyone. But, um, no, seriously, it, it's just the business has been shrinking. And that's the thing that people say, well, I think that this business should consolidate. It's been consolidating for, like, I don't know, 25 years. How's it going? How's it going so far? Remember when we get rid of uh, steroids? Remember when that was the big push? Oh, we get rid of steroids. And, you know, people are going to have more confidence in the game, blah, 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 blah. Guess what happened? The opposite. Something else came up. Oh, uh, the opposite happened. Nothing. Did the, the the same guys stop winning? No. Did new guys start winning? No. Same thing. If anything, it's gotten worse. The bigger guys have gotten bigger and stronger, and the smaller guys, in a lot of cases, haven't gotten smaller. They've gotten out. I know a lot of guys who trained in in Kentucky in the uh, when I started training that 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 aren't even in the business anymore. And some are doing stuff horse related, but they're not even in the business anymore. And they, you know, trainers who did pretty well, like Tony Reinstetler, uh, the, the, the Sarge, um, just Kieran McLaughlin. Yeah, Kieran McLaughlin, who's who, who made a huge, you know, a huge move and, and actually probably turned out to be the best move for him. Yeah. Because, uh, because you know, Louis doesn't miss. Louis's really good. <laughs> he's, he's excellent, man. And Kieran did that before. I mean, that that remember, Kieran was a jock agent. True. Before he he became a trainer, so uh, I mean, he was assistant trainer, but 
but a lot of guys who, you know, good, solid trainers that um, have gone by the wayside. And, and that's, that's one of the problems that we have on a day-to-day basis. Uh, You see it in these big races. I've said this before. I would always like to run in those big races. I'd love to be number six or seven or eight. Because number one, for me, for a smaller trainer, for a guy that had only a handful of good horses, it was a way to get on the program on a big day and get your name out there. And God forbid your horse ran well, then you know what? You got free publicity. And if you get black type for an owner, especially guys that breed horses, it was huge. Coming to keep you to keep you filled. Exactly. A lot of guys like me were were we were number six or number seven or number eight in those races. Now we're gone, and now the guys that are left the the in the vacuum are guys that don't have horses that remotely could run in those races because I had a lot of B team horses, but the big guys get the B team horses now too. So now you have only big guys and only guys with with cheap horses, and and that's and it's everywhere. It's not just uh, I don't even want to say any, any particular. Um, any particular meat, Kentucky doesn't seem to be as affected as other places, but Kentucky also has the luxury of, um, you know, being the world's biggest breeding location and, and having uh, state-of-the-art tracks that have huge purses at this point. So it's uh, bucking that trend, but it's not because they've done anything wonderful. It's because they have a lot of money. Uh, and they're where the horses are made. <laughs> so they have that inherent advantage over Florida and California and New York. But the middle class guys were the guys that filled the races with horses that you know, had a decent shot. Maybe you didn't have a bunch of eight to five shots or three to five shots like we see now. But they weren't, you know, 50 to one shots. And, and that, that hurts, that hurts. To, everybody kind of wants to look, you know, and say, oh, what can we do? Well, we never solve issues in this business. We, we, you know, we, we do, we treat symptoms, but we never, we never get to the actual illness. Uh, that's something that, that's something that Heiser could do, but it's not going to because it's disorganized and it's focused on, on nonsense, like, Jockey Whipples and, 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 you know, BS like that. Uh, to me, if you took a poll of 100 fervent industry followers. Now, now, if you're listening to this show, you are probably in that category. Yeah, most likely. I would, I would expect that most of our listeners are people that follow Die- racing pretty closely. Diehards. Are participants, own horses, train horses. Uh, particularly bet on horses. Um, so, I mean, we tend to talk in this forum in a manner thinking that you understand who, you know, what we're talking about. We don't have to dumb it down to the basics. But um, it's, it's a real tough to... Um, To get um, to get new people involved, 
and like no one's even trying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to to find an optimistic way of looking at this whole thing, and it's hard to figure that out because. I want to say, hey, you know what? It's just going to be like a trial and error sort of thing where they're just going to implement it and then tweak it as they go. But even that would take a long time. You know what I mean? Because not every situation comes up, you know, all at once or even at all in a a particular year that something they may have to address. So it has to work over time. That being said, if you don't have anybody that understands the business as well as somebody else that may have that understanding that's not involved with with this whole program, it's going to take that much longer, if at all, if they ever get it. And I, I, it, it's just hard to, to understand where this is going. I guess, you know, like the people you've been talking to, you know, it's just like, well, what are we going to do? It's just, we just got to wait and see. And, and it's just, it's too late. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's only a couple of weeks out and, you know, we don't really have any firm answers on a lot of things. Um, and I don't think we're going to until those things start being approached incrementally, like as they come up, which is not good. Well, you know, I guess, <clears throat> Where I was going with that was um, if, if you took a, a, a poll of all the people who listen to the show and you said to them, <clears throat> from your standpoint, the point of view where you're standing, what your participation in this business is, if you could standardize one segment of this business, what would it be? I would have to think overwhelmingly it would be stewards' decisions. <laughs> because we see that drug rules are drug rules nobody sees them nobody knows what they are nobody knows what what uh the rule is in virginia versus maryland versus west virginia versus florida versus louisiana nobody knows that like if you race in those jurisdictions you, you better know it but from the outside who who knows that what owners know that what trainers i mean excuse me what uh, uh what jockeys know that what 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 fans know that? What people who bet on the races know that? Most racing officials don't know that. They work in one jurisdiction. It doesn't concern them what the rules are uh, three states over. That's not something that, that's tangible. That's not something that you're going to feel, you're going to see. Just like, can you tell me when steroids, when anabolic steroids were, um, and they weren't eliminated completely, but they were the use of them was was pushed back so far and cut so far back and 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 pushed so far off compared to how it was where there was essentially no rules literally no rules you didn't see a difference because you know what we didn't see a difference <laughs> the people inside training the horses yeah you'd see a difference in some fillies that um the, the little a little bit of winstrel used to you know keep them in, in eating um geldings maybe you, you would uh keep them uh put keep a little more muscle on them but i mean these are subtle things the on the track stuff 
track records didn't start dropping. Horses didn't start staying sounder. I mean, all the things that we told were going to happen never happened. Oh, the betters are going to have more confidence. And I said, that's bullshit. And they said, well, what you? I said, they're not going to see the difference. They're not going to see the difference. Don't you understand that? That when you gave a horse a uh, winstrel, it wasn't like you saw Barry Bonds. You saw Barry Bonds when he weighed 195, and then you saw Barry Bonds when he weighed 245. Then you, you, know, you saw Barry Bonds when he was hitting 32 home runs, and then you saw him when he was hitting 62 home runs. Yeah, you could see it. I said, these are horses. Unless you're around that horse all the time, or even then. Right, you'd have to take a picture like every two weeks or something. <laughs> horses are, are so horses aren't going to go from running one hundred and nine to running one hundred and sixteen. That's what happened in baseball. There was nobody hitting sixty home runs. Nobody was hitting sixty home runs. It happened. Babe Ruth hit it in what nineteen twenty something, and then Roger Maris did it in the sixties. And then like seven guys did it exactly <laughs> one year, <laughs> and that's that was like what you tried to explain to people no one's gonna see this you can tell them we're not allowing this anymore great but when you told them all these other things that was not true it was never true the same guys were winning the same guys were losing yeah maybe a guy uh didn't do as well but you know what it probably was something to do with the horses he had Horses don't, uh, I mean, even in, in, in this, the, the, the difference between um, a really good horse and just a good horse, it's not that much. It's like a second over six furlongs. I'm not talking about the difference between maiden fives and flight line, <laughs> but, you know, the difference between a, a horse who's, who's good enough to win an allowance race versus one that, that runs fourth and fifth. It's about a second. It's about a second over, over three quarters, over a mile. That's not a big difference. We're not going to see it. And we didn't. We didn't. And this is not going to be any different. It's just not. Right. I, I think the expectation is out there that it's just going to be like this panacea to all of racing's problems. And that's far fetched. I mean, there's nothing that could do that. Nothing. No. Believe me, I. I would love if Heiser was was would work. And believe me, there's going to be people that are going to tell you that it works, that it's great. That it's right, awesome. no matter what. No matter what. Right, no matter no what matter happens, what. they're going to say, yeah, this is the best thing ever. Right. And there's going to be people that, that I mean, you know, some of the forums you see people, oh, the Democratic, uh, you know. Like, <laughs> it's like, no, actually it was passed because Mitch McConnell cuts behind it <laughs> so you know he's definitely not a democrat um it's not political and this would have never passed it wouldn't and i don't care what anyone tells you 
it would never have passed if the federal government had to fund it. The only reason this thing passed was because McConnell got behind it, because Churchill got behind it. When McConnell got behind it, Churchill was behind it. But the fact of the matter was, there's no chance in hell if the federal government had to put money into this, oh, this, no. would, have, this would have passed. They got too much other stuff to worry. Be, everybody, you know what they would have all said? Very low. Why are we funding horse racing regulations? Why? What are we doing this for? What, why are we spending money on this? And anybody who voted for it, they're, they're, whoever ran against them, would, would throw that in their face. And they would, they would throw in their face, oh, look. <clears throat> Look who won this race. Uh, it saw what happened in Pennsylvania when uh, that governor, uh, Wolf, who, who always goes after the, 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 the money every year, that was one of the tactics. Oh, the money doesn't go to pe- Pennsylvanians. It goes to, to rich oil barons from the Middle East. That's exactly what they said. You know, and believe me, if it cost the government money, and I don't want to hear about, oh, well, it's under the auspices of the Federal Trade Commission, blah, blah, blah. The Federal Trade Commission is a massive organization that's, that's got funding galore. This is a blip on the radar screen for them, costing them virtually nothing, basically. And that's the thing. We, we, we've talked about this, this for oh, half hour, and... and <laughs> We haven't even brought up the the, the <laughs> fence. And that that's the thing that's always always made me suspicious of beyond my normal suspicions of this is that no one ever wanted to talk money. And no one wanted to talk how it would be funded. Uh, for a while there, four or five years ago, they were swearing to God that they were not, not going to raise taken. Oh no, there'll be no church charge. No, 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 never happened. Nowadays, you won't hear people say that. They may say, "Oh well, we don't, we don't believe that we're going to have to do that," which means nothing. It means nothing. That's not. That's a way different than, "Oh, we're not going to do this," or "We're never going to do this." It becomes, "Oh well, we don't think we're going to do this, or we don't think we're going to have to do this, or we shouldn't have to do this." But we might have. We're, we're, I mean, who knows? They might say, well, we're going to test 10 horses a race. So we're going to do all this out of competition testing. Who are you going to do the out of competition testing on? <laughs> That's the thing is, who, who who are you targeting? This is not that big of a sport that there's 700 trainers out there that, are, that, that, that might be suspicious and, and doing things. The guys went to 7%, 8%. Why are you spending money testing his horses? He's not winning. He's losing 93% of the time. <laughs> and, and it doesn't mean just because you win races, you, you're suspect. But it doesn't take long to call roll for the trainers that everyone is suspicious about. We know who they are. Fair or unfair. That's where you, you should be focused on. And if they're not doing anything wrong, then it, 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 that, that should be 
That should be stated as well. But for the most part, out of competition testing on 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 who, like you know, like right, ten percent of the people are winning ninety percent of the purses in a lot of cases. So why are you testing the other ninety percent? Yeah, occasional test of a random test, sure, no problem. Keep everybody honest, right? Right, but supposed to be where you think the problem is. There's not 30 trainers in this country that that, that should um, be suspect enough that, that that you would need to do a full scale uh, out of competition testing on them all, all the time. The business is shrinking. This isn't the Olympics. That's a that's a holdover from from the USADA. This isn't the Olympics. These aren't people. <laughs> the difference between most Olympic class athletes is very, very, very slight. The difference between the top figure skater and the twentieth figure skater is very, very small. The difference between a top trainer at, at, at Churchill or a top trainer at, at Belmont versus everyone at Charlestown, well, except for that Patterson guy, um, <laughs> or uh, everyone at, at um, you know, a smaller track. I'm not saying that there aren't people at smaller tracks that push the envelope that, that, that probably uh, might, you know, do things that aren't, aren't aren't legal or real, but if a track is handling three or four hundred thousand dollars, do we really need to spend five hundred dollars per test per horse per day for every horse, or three hundred per horse? So we're going to spend thirty thousand dollars a day on a track that you know we're going to spend ten percent of, of what the track handles. Like, how long is that going to last? Maybe that's an extreme example. No, not too extreme, considering, you know, what is supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think as the days get closer, it's just more questions than answers. And Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a piece of information that Uh-oh. I have in confidence, and I can't say a lot, but... It's not 100% July 1st is going gonna, is gonna to happen. Well, yeah. I mean, reasonability would think, yeah, that doesn't make sense because there's so many things missing. Or it's just not all coming together. But I think we've, we've even spoke about that before. It's like, how can they do that when it would probably take two to three years, maybe even longer, to even implement it? You can't just turn the light switch on <laughs> on July 1st and expect everything to be way it's supposed to be. There's, that's impossible. I'm just saying that there might, something might happen. That's all. I, I could believe. I, I cannot say anything other than that. And that is, <clears throat> I don't know if it's, if it's rich strike in the Derby or if it's rich strike in the Belmont, <laughs> 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 you know, like, but, um, but this isn't ready and it should be, it should be tabled for, at least six months and 
I mean, we need to do it right. Right. And, 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 and for all the people that say, oh, well, racing, they got no one else to blame. Stop. Stop. We're not self-regulated industry. I've said this a hundred times, and I'm sick of saying it. We're regulated by the states. States are government. We're always been regulated by the states. I'm not saying they do a good job. For the most part, they don't. <laughs> but horse racing has never been self-regulated. And there is no horse racing. There is no horse racing. I mean, Heinsa, if you could do it properly, could be great. I mean, you could theoretically under Heisa, and here we are giving all giving away uh, free advice. Free advice that would probably somebody be charging two thousand dollars an hour for. But theoretically, under Heisa, you could create rules that could um, not eliminate, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Rain in super trainers. You could create a national rule saying that a covered trainer can only train X amount of horses, 100 horses. That's it. Because you have to register your horse and it has to be registered by the trainer. You could control the numbers that way. Cap that, yeah. And I'm sure that they oh. would like their heads would start spinning like uh, <laughs> smoke would come out of their ears, dude. God, how could we do that? But there's ways. The, the, the standardization of the way the race is on the track, something tangible, something we see, are adjudicated would be potentially a giant success. And this is not like, and we complain about stewards a lot, and most of the time they deserve it, but there are good stewards out there. But for the most part, they're not well-trained, if trained at all, or they're barely trained. And there's no standardization across the board. Racing rules on the track should be the same. Of all the rules that should be the same, they should be the same. Because you have people now that are racing in multiple states all the time, uh, especially in the mid-Atlantic. And jockeys are riding at different tracks. And if we're going to standardize whip rules, why don't we standardize everything else? What is a bigger safety concern? Um, what's a bigger safety concern? Uh, if a jockey hits a horse seven, eight times with a whip, or if a jockey herds three horses into the rail? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, 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 which one of those is a bigger safety concern? In the view of, well, everyone but the Heisa people. It could be so good. Would you imagine if we trained the stewards and they all had to operate under the same rules and they all were, were graded and judged and they all had to get X amount of training? Of all the people that really should have um, should have training, it's the stewards. The stewards should have should have it. Yeah, Be, because you know that. Like I said, this is something that 
that we all see, and it affects everyone. It affects owners, it affects trainers, it affects betters, it affects jockeys, it affects the breeders. The horses get disqualified or not get disqualified in stake races. Uh, it affects everything. And herding is a far, far, far bigger safety issue than the number of strikes a jockey has in a race. Far bigger. And that's not, you know, it, it, it would... It, it, it wouldn't be difficult to do. It would be difficult to get everyone on the same page. And um, you'd be doing this, you'd be implementing this as it goes, because it's not like we're just going to all stop racing for six months and, you know, get everybody uh, you know, educated. But it could happen. It, 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 could, it could be done. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just a missed opportunity. What about wagering security? What about the pool security? Yeah. Why wouldn't that be a part of this? Why wouldn't rules be written uh, about that? Well, because they didn't have the right people <laughs> involved in the process. <laughs> you know, the whole thing with Texas and and to be honest, I think the Texas thing is is a little bit bigger than horse racing. I mean, you keep reading in the fringes of the news that, uh, I mean, it's all crazy talk and it's never going to actually happen. But oh, Texas might want to, you know, leave the union, <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, their interpretation of everything just seems... And, and and I understand some of the parts where where they actually have valid base about it, um, but um, you know to think that they're just going to to to, to uh, be able to to sustain racing in that state without simulcasting is that's absurd. It's absurd. Uh, it's not going to help the re- the racing industry and that that, in, that that state is going to kill it. Uh, and that's just, I mean, like I said, you don't have to agree with the, 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 the rules. You don't have to even like them. But, you know, the, the Interstate Ra- Horse Racing Act is something that is a lifeline for racetracks. And uh, I just don't see how any racetrack, um, especially in Texas where they don't have casino revenue either and the sad thing is that they actually did the right thing and they got some uh some additional money to those uh purses and and to the you know to the tracks by adjusting some sales tax things um and it seemed like racing there has especially at sam houston has, has has been on the rise and you know now you have this situation and and believe me i i get it if you're a, a participant um, and you, you know, it makes you queasy to, to sign your name to something that you don't even really know what it's going to be. I, I mean, I'm sympathetic to that view, but if you want to race, you got to do it. And it's, I mean, when we sign stall applications as trainers, if you read a stall application, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be over two days. <laughs> Let me break it down for you real quick. Essentially, we, you, you sign a stall application. It says more or less that if if the barn fell down on you, you you and your horses, that the uh, at the track and the track was a million percent 
um, responsible and negligent for it, you can't sue them. <laughs> um, now, I'm sure that you probably can. I mean, I'm sure that a lawyer could work it its way because you're basically forced to sign this if you want to participate at a meet. But, um, you know, the, the, the language is such that you're, you're giving away a lot of your rights, but we all do it. And we all do it a lot of times in multiple locations, multiple states, multiple jurisdictions, because that's, you know, that's how you participate in the business. And there are some states that have rules that are similar to HISA, but they're not the federal government. The federal government scares people. And it should. Um, if you have an issue under HISA, it's not like it is under a state raising commission. Um, it's going to be completely different. And I know they streamlined it in, in a way that's good. Uh, in a way that's not good. In a way, it, it also, it, it's almost a rush to judgment. Um, and I think that might wind up being a, an issue somewhere down the line as well. Um, um, people forget most positives are not uh, nefarious medications. They're not at levels that are going to um, affect performance. And there's always going to be some quack vet that's going to come and say, oh my god, come on. (laughs) We were giving horses steroids, man. (laughs) And guess what? (laughs) The guys giving them, they weren't winning 92%. There was guys winning, they were winning 7% they were giving them. But um, The biggest issue, I guess, more than anything, is that if you could just stop everything tomorrow in this business and, and, and go through and try to fix it, like bring your car in for an overhaul, put it on the machine, have it, you know, everything that's wrong, get it fixed, get the tires fixed, get the radiator fixed, get this fixed, get the taillight fixed, get, get everything fixed. It would be difficult to do. Heiser makes it 10 times more difficult because now you're not dealing with people you can get a hold of. You're not dealing with um, smaller entities. Now you're dealing with a federal entity. And as it appears now, I don't even know that they know who's going to be even handling this stuff. I mean, doesn't seem like it that is the one thing that really is just stands out the more they do these zoom meetings you would think that they would be be getting better but they had one in kentucky today i had guys texting me telling me that it was like anarchy and that hmm. they just weren't getting any answers and it was just we'll get back to you we'll pop to you know we're not really sure i mean we're 10 days away from and and, 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 and yeah okay maybe not everything is going to be uh, from day one implemented and it, uh, the and the whip rule doesn't matter to most of us the difference doesn't make what kind of whip you use doesn't matter to, to trainers and owners and everyone else in the business it doesn't make any difference that's only a jockey thing so that's their deal nope. okay the jockeys worry about that 
of the shoes. I mean, I, I, that's fine. <laughs> but if they were honest with themselves, they would say, you know what, we really need more time. I just find, and that I just way find they it can... hard to believe if everyone in this, this business and everyone in on the HISA and every person who had the political, um, you know, political, let, let's face it, some people have a lot more political juice than others. True. Especially big donors. Well, um, that's the thing, you know. They... If they didn't go to the FTC and say, listen, this is a disaster. It's <laughs> a nationwide business. This is very difficult to implement. Our computer keeps going, or their, their, their program keeps going down. People have problems getting in. Um, and we're, it's disorganized. We're, we're, we, we need to do this properly. We need to do this properly. We want to make sure that when we roll this out, it's fair, equitable and blah, 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 blah. We need to push this back to January 1st. Right. And they're well, saying, oh, it needs to act to Congress. Blah, blah. I don't believe that's true. No. I believe this. If the Federal Trade Commission said, we're going to postpone it to January 1st, then that could be done. Maybe it's not. Maybe maybe you can't do that, but I, I'm not. I'm, I'm skeptical about that. Well, that that's the thing, you know, that, that kind of stands out to me, too, is, you know, you have things like this, and, and you consult people who are in the know about the game and the industry and everything you know, you can get analyzed so you can approach this the right way. It would make more sense to me instead of trying to force everything on one date, say, hey, we're going to take we're going to prioritize what we're doing here. Put in a few rules that we're going to enforce early and then add them as we go month by month, you know, timeline wise. And it's a lot easier for everyone to follow. Plus, it doesn't overwhelm the whole entity itself. And it doesn't sound like that's happening. I mean, it may end up going that route, but the communications that I've seen, that's not how they're, that, that wasn't the plan. So, you, you know, you prioritize the issues and be like, all right, well, what's the, the top issue that we're having that we probably need to kind of get after first? And then, you know, kind of work backwards from there. And then, you know, it, it doesn't seem all that difficult to plan this. But, I mean, obviously, we're not privy to, to any of those conversations while it was being put together. And all we saw was a deadline or, you know, a start date of July 1st. Yeah. And, like, you know, they're, they're, they keep saying, well, there's, there's not going to be, you know, we're not rolling all this out, but. We needed a sign. <laughs> oh, that should have been phase one. Let's that just makes sense. That. Phase one, I mean, everybody to sign up. I mean, that doesn't make you a little bit nervous. Right. <laughs> You're just a really trusting individual. <laughs> right. That, that should have been phase Imagine one. Imagine if the IRS called you up and said, listen, we just need you to sign this document. Are you? Am I getting audited? Well, we don't really know right now, but we'll let you know later. <laughs> we'll get back to you on yeah, that. We're not sure about that. So, yeah. <laughs> Like, like, you know, it's the IRS. You got to do it. You, you got to, you know, it's not like you can just opt out. But 
like Texas said, oh, we're, we're out. <laughs> I don't think you can get out. <laughs> I don't but, um, they were out. Um, yeah, I mean, if it doesn't make you nervous, and... there's nothing wrong if you're a supporter of this to say, hey, listen, you know, we have some misgivings about how this is being rolled out, and, and maybe we need a little bit more time right. it's, it's, to smooth it's... the edges out. I mean, if, if you're just so adamantly for something, then I, I always question you. <laughs> people that are like that like oh my god well, i be able to do this because i got registered i know how to do this and blah, blah 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 yeah you're you you're one person you know you might own five percent of one horse who might never even run you know okay great that's great buddy awesome but you know <laughs> other people have different situations Anyways, we spent way too much time talking about this nonsense, but unfortunately, no, no, this... I think I think it needed discussion because you're not going to get this anywhere else. No, of course. I mean nobody's nobody's going to be really candid about it the way we are. I mean, I'm not patting ourselves on the back, but just haven't seen it. No, well, neither of us really has to be registered, so true. It's it's not really. I mean, I have a trainer's license. It's still valid till next year. All right. Well, we got some. If anyone, see, if anyone sees me, consider training or stab me. Yeah, you're a zombie. But, uh, <laughs> shoot me. Something's wrong. Don't drink the milk. <laughs> yes, but I, I will allow anyone to if they want to use uh, my my patented uh, routine training activity RTA. If, if you have to fill out forms, that's that's what I would put down. How can you argue with that? Routine training activity. Um, we did some stuff, but no, and that well, that that's a, it's a very sensitive in, industry. It's a very sensitive industry. Mm-hmm. It's an overly sensitive industry. A lot of people are just protecting their turf. I, I saw someone today complaining because of the people on TVG like said something negative about their horse. Guess what? That's the way that that that's right. Like... Game is about opinions like that. Exactly. <laughs> Grow up. What do you expect? And then, and, and and it's even better for you if your horse or whatever does better than they thought. You can stick it in a, in their face and be like, "Hey, talking about my horse, but still ran good, still won." <sighs> well, that that's the but thing. even still, that's still kind of like out of the realm. It's just like. Everybody has an opinion. That's what this game is. Opinions. Until the race is actually run, that's all you got. No. It, it's people are just a little, just overly sensitive. Yeah. I mean, you, you just can't say. Don't get me started. I, I, I get where you can't, like, just go off on tangents. If you work for a track, you can't, like, start calling people names or. Um, or we, no, you we understand. That. Like, reason, I mean, we can't question anything in this business without people going, "Oh, geez, you're awful negative." No, I'm not awful negative. This business is awful negative. No one's the like, like the Santa Anita. Okay, they released their handle numbers. We got the real handle numbers from Old Crunk, and then we get Santa Anita's handy handle numbers, which aren't actually handle numbers. It's not handle when you include money bet. On other tracks, <laughs> your handle is is, is down twenty five percent from five years ago. Your overall handle for that meet, 
dropped off 25%. Now, they had no fatalities on the dirt. That's that's at least what they're saying, the official statistics. That's great. That there's no way to spin that bad, okay? I'm not going to say anything negative because there's no reason to. Right. It's a good thing. And will it be picked up by the mainstream people that crushed them when that wasn't happening? No, it Probably will not. not be. Or it will be on page 37 in a little tiny corner. But that's a positive. But also realize that a lot fewer horses are there. A lot fewer horses are training. And a lot fewer horses are running. And field size barely got out of the sixes. Um, and now I'm sure that you know, I'll be the bad guy for pointing this out, but in California, somehow or some way, they the tracks have suddenly started counting handle in a different way. It'd be like a baseball player that, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> if, if, if in, in, in when you're figuring a guy's batting average, that that line drives that were were you know could have been hits, we're gonna count those too. No, they're not. They're not hits. Money bet at your track on a on, on a different track. That's not handle. That's not that's not on track handle. Or excuse me, not on track. That's not handle for your meat. It's different, and you know it's different. And we're counting. It's different way of putting. If that was the way we always did it, it'd be different. But it's not. It's not. It's not. How much money was bet at your track is not they are giving you and it's not a surprise i mean who would be surprised by that no one would be surprised by that this is the whole california racing giving a stallion seasons to jockeys to as an effort to try to keep them out there like no jockey like irad ortiz didn't go out there the last time they had big days and win like all the races yeah i mean you know what honestly it might attract more jockeys to come in for the big days to ride. And so the guys right. ride there on a regular basis <laughs> yeah. get pushed off to the side. And who's going to win all those races anyways? It's going to be the same four or five guys. And how many of those horses that win those races actually go to stud for any significant money? How many? Honestly, outside of Baffert horses, how many horses have been campaigned in California weren't trained by Bob Baffert, um, have, have gone to stud for significant money in the last five years. Uh, Omaha, what's his name for the Mandela? Omaha Beach. Yeah, Omaha <laughs> Beach. Who else? Mm, can't recall. So who writes for Baffert? The same guys. Same dudes. Johnny V. It's just silly. The problems in your meat, or excuse me, your your, your circuit are, you need horses. <laughs> you need owners. You need to build the Calbred program back up. You've got to fix your foundation. That's the problem. What you're doing isn't going to do anything. And it's, and it's, it's, it's just, 
And I'm not saying that jockeys shouldn't be rewarded. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that the California Racing Board's thinking that this is going to be an incentive to keep to keep jockeys there on a year-round basis when they can go to other places and race five days a week or four days a week. If you can go to Kentucky or, or go to Oakland and run for big money or New York. If you get your, your, your house in order, California's always been a hugely attractive place for top jockeys. Who doesn't want to live there? I mean, outside of traffic sucking and the taxes and the weirdos, but <laughs> it's a lot of animals. Well, they have a lot. Of, they have those things everywhere else too, but it just it's just worse there. But think about like, <clears throat> like the great jockeys have been out there <laughs> over the years. I mean, the, the, Mig, the remember, Mig went out there and are arguably the best jockeys you know, ever. They, 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 you could stack up the top. 10 California-based jockeys with any place, anywhere. But it was an A-level circuit. And it, it's it's sliding down to a B-level circuit. And I'm not talking about the best horses, but look at the triple crown preps out there. Oh, boy. Short fields and donkeys. At least Happy Jack won a race. Yeah, well, he didn't put out any effort in his last four drubbings. <laughs> should have been fresh. And he wasn't a favorite. That was the killer. No, he wasn't even a favorite. <laughs> he was third choice in that race. Wheel him back in the Ohio Derby. He wasn't in for the tag, though. There's hope, Luno Ojo. You can run for the, the, the 80. Maybe you could win that race too. <laughs> He's actually uh, Uno Ojo is actually like a tad bit faster than Happy Jack. But there's a big difference between A other than and real estate races. Anyways, that's our show for tonight, and uh, I'm sure we're both on the Heisa hit list. Whenever they get the trained assassins on the payroll, we'll, we'll be getting whacked. Well, I mean, there's they might whack nothing them. like putting a guy like whose nickname is the sniper on the assassins list. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's right. Can't snipe the sniper. That's right. They don't want those problems. <laughs> no, but um. Yeah, I mean, the Mother Goose is this weekend. Yeah, nobody's excited about that. You know, I went by, um, a friend posted something on Facebook the other day about the the new Wilson shoot they're putting in Saratoga. And it didn't look like it's very far. Like, they don't look like they've got a whole lot done. So I went over there yesterday and and, and took a look at it. Did you get kicked out? No. I got a maintenance type truck looking thing, you know. So, uh, uh, you blend it in until I see the Florida plates, and then, oh, I got but um, guy out of here. Um, yeah, it's uh, is it supposed to be ready? Yeah, and it's not. Oh, uh, well, it isn't ready now. I mean, 
I guess. I guess it'll be ready, but it's not very long. You'd think they'd want to at least test it out a little bit, right, before before uh, use it in the race. I still don't see how it's not going to favor inside speed horses. It did when they had it before. Uh, this is a different one than that year. The one year they had it it, 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 it really, because they were kind of like, it was actually very similar to the angle they used for the mile and a quarter dirt race at Belmont. Right. But, um, you know, they're so, they're, they're, those are run so infrequently. But the inside post positions were very, very strong. The one, two, three, four, one, pretty significant portion of the races. Um, there was a couple occasions where an outside horse just blasted off and cleared. Right, cleared but, and slowed it down. And but there was was very very few. I mean, they got rid of it because no, you know, people were scratching when they didn't draw inside. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I I hope it's um, I hope it's a little more fair than that, and I, and I hope they don't like jam those races down our throat. Because the truth of the matter is, the mile and an eighth races, they, they, they are a little bit of a, you know, the two-turn races are, di- they're part of a, a different handicapping um, look, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's an added factor that, um, you know, it's an added layer to Saratoga that, that's always been. So, you know, seven-eighths or a mile and an eighth. Like those mile and an eighth <laughs> maiden races, they, they typically run an opening day. Yeah, usually it's like the first race. Yeah. I, I guess they always like to start the meet off with a race in front of the crowd. Not a bad idea. No, right. Uh, kind of a, a low-key tradition. But, um, and it's harder to fill those races. harder than ever. It really is. It's harder to fill any race. Really, outside turf sprints, but uh, you know it's twenty four days. Well, it'll be twenty three by the time anyone hears this. So, kind of catching up to us, quick. Yes, quickly. I went to. I was at the harness track today. Did you get locked in there? <clears throat> no, not today. Made it out. I was lot. ground floor. Ground floor. Oh, you were you were talking. You, yeah, you talking were the, to my man Aki. The common folk. Aki. Aki drove very uh, passively today. Very passively. You got to get Ray Cotola to give you that fat head. I know. That would be like the world's greatest gift. Man, that'd be so fantastic. I'd put it in my truck and, and drive around with it. But uh, it was it was such it was a really nice day, really nice day. Sat with my my old crony Spinelli and Joey DeCrosta. Spinelli, Beansy. Yeah, I saw the. You guys, you guys have all nicknames like dudes from the Sandlot. Pretty much, yeah. There's a lot of people I. <laughs> You never know their actual name until <laughs> <laughs> you know him. I do. What's his? Uh, That's his real name. What's yeah. his nickname? <laughs> oh, okay. I know who that is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
but it'll be uh if if every day was as nice as it was today man it was it was really nice out. I know it's hot everywhere else. Jinxed it, bro. It's, it's been it's been nice. It was a little cool over the weekend, but what's a little cool? Uh, well, like at night in the in the fifties. Ooh, yeah, no bueno. Yeah, like tonight is supposed to go down to like fifty-two. Do not like. But I'm not going outside because it's nighttime. Um. Yeah, Wednesday. It's only supposed to be sixty-nine. But yeah. then, like, by the weekend, it's supposed to be 88, so... Oh, that's perfect. Weather at Saratoga can always be, like, massively different from day to day. But... But we'll see. I'm, I'm expecting the Belmont cards to be... to be rather light. Everybody's yeah. Getting prepared. That's- for the big oh, meet, so. yeah, but you know, there's always opportunities, especially for the guys that are you know not going to Saratoga that that uh, that need need to keep winning. So we'll see what happens. The races this weekend were kind of blah. Yeah, that was it was definitely a. I was surprised so many people like rushed to the defense of Hot Rod Charlie. To say what? I don't know. I, I just said he kind of choked. He did. Hot Rod choked. He had every chance to win that race and did. Hot, hot Rod choked. <laughs> yeah, they were mad at that. <laughs> I, I didn't bet a penny on the race. Not a penny. I just think, you know, you get a half a length ahead of the horse who was the early leader in the race. Who, uh, you know, who's a solid enough horse. but You put him away. It's not exactly, uh, you know, Kelso out there, <laughs> and he just, you know, got beat. Right on the square. I mean, I was actually a little surprised that Mike Smith didn't take a little more heat because Mike Smith is kind of one of those those uh, figures that, when he loses, he always kind of takes more blame than sometimes than he should. <laughs> not nothing. Sometimes I think I think it's because you don't see him as much as we used to. No, and I, it was I, it was. I don't know. Did anyone see Doug O'Neill say anything about why Pratt wasn't riding the horse? Because I find it hard to believe that Pratt said, ah, I'm going to run on a horse that, you know, maybe I have a shot in like a $6 million race at the end of the year. But now I'm going to stick and ride uh, Chad Brown's, you know, 13th best turf horse and the rest of the the card at (laughs) Belmont that day. That, That was a little strange. And I that mean, might the only thing I could more say lucrative is, decision, though. Well, I, I was thinking that maybe he, you know, maybe the, the hot rod Charlie people want he did the math. It's going to stick with them because you know Pratt rides the world's fastest horse ever, the horse with wings, and he's supposed to ride, you know, back in the West Coast next time and. Ball goes well. I'm sure he'll ride him in the Breeders' Cup too, right? So if he rides Flightline, he can't ride out ride Charlie. So they're going to be looking for a rider, and I guess maybe they just decided that they wanted to get somebody who was going to stick with him from from here on in. Yeah, it makes sense, I guess, if you're looking that far ahead. Outside of like <clears throat> the top two or three jockeys in the country, who couldn't Doug O'Neill call that weekend and get get them to come ride that horse? 
Do you think it was a owner? Didn't he run second like a twenty million dollar, ten million dollar race last time? Mm-hmm. So like you could have got anybody else, and you you chose Mike. Maybe it was the owner's deal. They wanted him. I don't know. I, I don't know. Nothing against Mike, but you know Mike doesn't hardly ride anymore. And, um, you know, clearly it, it was a prep race. I, I understand that, but people are making out like, oh, it's just a prep. Like he, like he. Well, because I think Doug like, O'Neill uh, said that. Like, like he hadn't run since September. He ran in March, at the end of March. It's it's the middle of June. <laughs> he hasn't been off that long. He didn't like like uh, come back from um, uh, Dubai and, and and stop off at the Canary Islands for a month and, and land on the beach and, and come back. I mean, God, it was like he's all you know. He, he ran in Dubai. He's been off. Yeah, he's been off for sixty days, which is like. Normal, yeah, exactly. Kind of like, kind of like normal these days. So, but it was just to me weird that no one has, ah, and maybe someone asked him and he he, he answered it. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. No, I I'm with you. I didn't see much of that, and and I was actually surprised also. But I I want to say the trainer did say that they weren't fully cranked. But, you know, who knows? Well, a lot of questions there. Uh, mind control. You know, he's a cool horse. Yeah, for a long time. <laughs> Been around. People, oh, I don't know why they're not breeding him. Why? Look at his pedigree. Why <laughs> <laughs> stay thirsty and he's out of a lightning and fire mare or whatever that horse's name was. So... Race record is a small bit of a stallion success. Pedigree, my friends. Pedigree. Pedigree. Um, so, so, anyways, well, we've blabbed long enough. Covered it all. Well, we covered enough. Yeah, not all. <laughs> covered everything that we're going to cover. All right. Anyways, I think I'm gonna. I think I have a new, a new, uh, a new goal in life. To be like Clay Thompson, <laughs> fake Clay, <laughs> <laughs> fake Clay, fake Clay got barred for life. <laughs> Guy snuck in, and they let him in. They were, like they didn't even. Everybody stop. let him in. He got past <laughs> everybody. He got on the court. Yeah, he was shooting jumpers. Yeah, the only place he didn't go was the locker room because he knew. <laughs> he knew they knew they were going. They knew who's this guy. But uh, I want to. I want to. I want to build a Bucky's in New York. I miss Bucky's. I've been there twice in my life, and I already miss it, dude. It's insane. If you've never been there, it's just hard to describe. Just think, man. You know, every time you come to my house, you can go to Bucky's. I know. Right here, it's a big draw. It is. Plus, I missed that. I missed gas at four sixteen a gallon too. That's yeah, really- that helps. <laughs> well, they got a hundred pumps. Yeah, cheaper than anywhere else ever. Yeah. In New York, I think I paid seventy nine dollars a gallon today. Yeah, and in in, in, uh, in Illinois, it was it was close to six. So. It'll be interesting to see um, 
if Saratoga can continue the handle gains with um, with all the uh, <laughs> the gas prices, with all the financial issues. Although you know the politicians, I don't know. Economy's great. For who? <laughs> Stock markets and the free who? fall, gas prices, it costs you, know, you got to mortgage your house to fill up your car, but eh, everything's cool. I, I really wonder like how much that's going to affect because Saratoga, of all the tracks, probably has, uh, I, I believe it was somewhere around 20% of their handle is on track handle, which most tracks I think are less than 10%. Less- 10 some are probably five percent but you know saratoga is a unique track in that um that area and i i don't know i mean it's hard to say i mean people are still traveling uh you hear all kinds of crazy delays and dude my all my flights this past week were all filled to capacity yeah a lot a lot of flight cancellations and uh, see, airlines are cutting back on some of the smaller cities that don't have full flights. And um, I mean, at some point, it, it's not. I mean, the stock market going down is bad for the sales. It always is. When sale, when stock market's up, the sales are up. The horse sales are up. When stock market is down, a lot of times the horse sales are down. Um, we'll we'll see uh, in a couple of weeks that Fazig Tipton yearling sale July first first of July. We'll see how that works for them. Um, and then, you know, the Saratoga sale in August, which is always a big sale. And you'd, you'd have to assume that because it's a, that's a kind of a smaller numbers wise. And most of the people that are buying at a sale that averages three fifty or $400,000 are, are people that are pretty recession proof. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say they're, but, they're comfortable no matter what happens. It, it'll be interesting to see how those numbers, and I'm not rooting for, for, for anything. It's just. Uh, as I just want to kind of, to me, it's interesting to see how how the general economy affects us. And, uh, you know, again, it, it's all speculation, and, and we can't even get tracks to give us the actual numbers. So we'll have to do it ourselves. But but I mean, it, it's had you know Saratoga seen great handle gains um, the last few years, and I'm just thinking that. Maybe those might plateau a little bit because uh, because of the economy, because it sucks and it's super expensive to do to do anything. Um, now that everyone's really depressed, <laughs> can't go to Saratoga. It costs, it costs me more for gas than it does to get in. <laughs> Brutal. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and um, we appreciate your feedback. And always happy to uh, good, bad, or otherwise. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, uh, check out Going in Circles Digest. Yeah, some great articles by uh, that guy they call Cannon Show. Yeah, man. Twitter. That guy's a real troublemaker. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll have we'll have one every week and. I don't know. I was thinking about doing a couple different things for Saratoga, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. All right. All right. Well, we will. Uh, we'll talk to everyone. Uh, we'll talk at you next week. Bear see you. Have a fine week. <laughs>